How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Fun, entertaining, knowledgeable. All right. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Live and local, it's time for the Fan Morning Show with Bart Winkler. Morning. It is the Bart Winkler Morning Show. I'm Toby Altizer. Bart will be back tomorrow. Alongside Tim Shea, we're live from the Lakeland University studios. Earn co-op credit for work experience at lakeland.edu. Got a fun show planned for you guys today. I do want to recap the NBA Finals last night. It was an interesting game. Back and forth there in the second half. The Celtics came all the way back in the third quarter. And the Warriors got it going again in the fourth. So we'll dive into that a little bit. Tim Allen from the Gene Wagner Plumbing Post Game Show. He'll join the show coming up at 7 o'clock. We'll talk to him about this Brewers team ahead of a three-game set in New York against the Mets. And do want to preview that series as well. I was going through some of the numbers for both teams, and uh, <laughs> Tim, it's kind of depressing when you compare the two. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. The Mets, uh, the Mets are a good baseball. Team. Very good baseball team. A lot of power rankings have them in their top three. Probably have them around two. So you're you're going to be in for a a tough test against the New York Mets. Three games there. They're coming off a ten game road trip over on the West Coast. So they both, the Brewers and the Mets, had an off day yesterday. And tonight they'll get underway. So we'll, we'll see. Hopefully the Brewers can keep this winning thing going as opposed to that stupid losing streak that they had going before that. Also want to dive into some Green Bay Packers talk as well. Didn't get to talk a whole lot about them yesterday. So we, we got to dive into them, of course. But do want to start with the NBA Finals. Last night, the Golden State Warriors win by 10, 104-94 to take a 3-2 series lead as the series shifts back to Boston. And I, I, I thought last night was an incredible performance from Andrew Wiggins. You know, he's the guy that everyone's kind of been talking about. 
and you've had all sorts of good performances throughout this playoffs. And Steph Curry obviously has the incredible Game 4 performance where he drops 43 in a, a really a must-win situation. You, you can't go down 3-1. But last night, Andrew Wiggins, in, in a big game, a, a decisive Game 5, a pivotal Game 5, gives you the 3-2 series lead, gives you two chances to win one to close out this series. He comes out, gives you 26 points, and... I don't know that he's always been this guy, but he looks like a championship basketball player. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, I talked with Sam and Leroy yesterday. We were bringing this up. You know, there's a difference between a good player, you know, uh, there's a difference between a great player, and then sometimes there's a difference in being a championship player. And sometimes guys just aren't up for it. And honestly... One of the guys that's been disappointing to me, he stepped up last night, but Jason Tatum in this NBA Finals has been pretty disappointing to me. And yesterday, I thought he played better, but even then he gets sent to the line and he couldn't knock down free throws. And so I don't know if at this point in his career, he's gotten to that point, Jason Tatum, where he's obviously a great player, first-team All-NBA. Even if Joel Embiid gets his rightful spot on the first team, he's still one of the leading vote-getters on the second team, All-NBA. So he's one of the top 10 players in the league. And then you have that as well as he's one of the ascending superstars in this league. But the problem is I just haven't seen that same Jason Tatum in this NBA Finals. And I, for Bucks fans, I'm sure you're a little bit disappointed watching this series because you probably think that you could have been there. And I, and I I fully understand that. But this Celtics team, I have so many problems with them. Watching them last night, it's like watching a team in Golden State that is going about their business trying to win an NBA Finals. They understand that not every call is going to go your way. They understand that sometimes the physicality is going to get let go a little bit and all this other stuff. And then you have the Celtics, and they just don't seem ready for this. They seem like the team that, uh, maturity-wise, of a high school to college team because they just can't handle the pressure of the NBA Finals. I, I don't understand why Ime Yudoka has to continue to preach to this team to stop worrying about the officiating and play basketball. But it seems like he has to do that. Maybe part of the problem is the Celtics have gotten here by depending upon the officiating so much. I also don't know... I'm sounding like Bart a little bit this morning. That's scary. <laughs> That's really scary. Well, here's, here's going to be the thing that I probably sound the most like Bart. I don't like how Jason Tatum, and I'm a big Jason Tatum fan. I don't like how Jason Tatum gathers on layups. I noticed it in the Bucks series, and I noticed it again last night, where he fully extends his arms to bring the ball up. And I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, I don't think that's how you're taught to do that. You remember Derrick Rose when he was in his prime? Yeah. He'd drive in the lane and tuck that thing like a football. Yep. He'd put that thing under his arm, and 
It's like holding it high and tight. Then he go in there for le- Jason Tatum fully extends both arms and rips both up. And I fully, I, I think the full point of what he's doing is to get someone to hit him across the forearm and draw a foul. Play basketball. Stop worrying about trying to do all these other things. You have Marcus Smart flopping around last night. All, all this foolishness. Are you just realizing this? No, I'm not just realizing oh, okay. this. Okay. No. Okay. I'm, I'm frustrated with this basketball team because they might cost me Wendy's. <laughs> do you need to write a letter to them or something? <laughs> Send an email? I don't know what I'm going to have to do, but it, last night was a real revelation for me. On Andrew Wiggins, I thought he played really well in Game 1. And then last night was the leading scorer for the Warriors. I don't know what's less likely. A game where Andrew Wiggins is a leading scorer or a game where Stephen Curry doesn't hit a 3. Actually, I do know what's less likely. Steph Curry not hitting a 3. It's never happened before That's in a playoff crazy. game. It's crazy that they did that and the way they looked at least in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was unbelievable. If if they can do that, um, when's the next game? Friday? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. No, Thursday. Thursday. They can do that on Thursday. I mean, this series is over. Boston should have won this basketball game. Boston should have won Game Four. They continue to let games slip away that they should have won, and you you can blame it on a myriad of things if you're the Celtics but ultimately the buck stops with the players and they're just not coming up in big situations Jason Tatum I thought had a better game but it seems like they can never put together a all-around performance where their guys all play well together Jalen Brown struggled a little bit at the end of that game he's got the ball in his hands and it's like he ne- doesn't know how to dribble he's turning the ball over he was he only scored 18 points. Jason Tatum did go for 27 points of 10 of 20 shooting, but only two of six from the line. It's stuff like that that you can't have. Marcus Smart scored 20 for the Celtics, but looking at the Warriors, 26 from Wiggins, 21 from Klay Thompson, 16 from Steph Curry, and you had some guys contribute off the bench. Jordan Poole had 14 points in 14 minutes. And also I thought Gary Payton... The second played well as well, scoring 16 points off the bench, or sorry, 15 points off the bench. But what he gives you defensively is also important. And I I just thought that the Warriors looked like a team that were prepared to win an NBA Finals. They were a team that has been there before. They're a team that's not going to panic. It was weird to see the script flipped a little bit because a lot of this NBA Finals has been Basically, the exact opposite of what you saw in Game 5. You saw a lot of the games you've seen the Celtics come out, get a lead, and they kind of are rolling. They go into the half up, and then the Warriors get going in the third quarter, and then maybe the Celtics can bring it back and win it in the fourth. Last night, you had the Warriors rolling. You had the Celtics make a big comeback in the third. And then the Warriors ended up regaining the lead and and winning it in the fourth quarter. And I just don't understand why this Celtics team continues to whine and complain and and play the way that they do. Because I think they're a good enough basketball team to win this series. But they refuse to play basketball the way it's meant to be played. And I think if they would focus on just playing 
the correct way if they would just focus on going to the bucket with the intention of scoring, not getting fouled. If they would just play straight-up defense. I think they could win this series. But the way they continue to look for all these foolish calls and depending upon the refs to bail them out, it's not a good look. This is a good basketball team, and they're not playing like it. And they can't deal with some of the craziness that goes on in the NBA Finals. I mean, what in the world was going on with... How in the world did... We can complain about the officiating today because I think some of it was pretty garbage. Uh, I think Marcus Smart, he got called for some stuff, and Jordan Poole flopped. We can't even act like he didn't flop when Marcus Smart got called for the foul after getting called for the technical. How in the world did Draymond Green not get a technical foul for walking Jason Tatum back to the bench? What was up with that? How do you not get anything for that? And I know Bart was pulling the other side, which I don't... I. I love Bart. I can't agree with anything he was saying on that. Jason Tatum's just walking with the ball, and Draymond feels the need that he has to take it out of his hand. So he's like, no, I'm not giving it to you. And so Draymond just walks him back to the bench? How's that not a technical foul? You can't just walk a dude back to the bench like that. That was ridiculous. There were other calls in that game that I thought were pretty ridiculous. The officiating in this entire playoffs has been very, very suspect, I think. Yeah, it, it has not been great. The The thing for Boston last night, you shot 41% from the field, 34% from three, which actually is a big improvement because it took them forever to knock down their first three-pointer. They shot 31 free throws to the Warriors' 15 the Warriors only shot 22% from three, and you lost this basketball game by 10. Now, they were a little more efficient inside. They did shoot 46%, a lot of that coming from Andrew Wiggins. Boston has to win these games. Boston has to win this. You know, I want you to think about if, you know, your team were in this thing and you had these sort of things where you outshot them at the free throw line, you knocked down more threes and you held Stephen Curry in check, you expect to win those basketball games. And the Celtics did not do that. They are in trouble going back to Boston if they don't figure something out. And I I just don't understand why this team can't grow up to the point to understand that just play basketball. Stop worrying about all the rest of the foolishness. The Warriors understand that you are not ready for this moment and are going to exploit every single little part of it. So they'll try to get you worried more about the officiating. They'll get you more worried about the theatrics of it than actually playing basketball. And the Celtics have gotten caught up in that. I don't know what they're doing. It's the NBA Finals. You're trying to win a basketball game. You're not trying to draw calls every time down the floor. Go in there with the intention of scoring. 414-799-1250. 414-799-1250. You want to talk about the NBA Finals? Talk about that a little bit more. Want to hear from some of the players after the game. Here's some of the highlights as well. It's the Bart Winkler Morning Show. I'm Toby Altizer. That's Tim Shea. We'll be back in a few. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage 
to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. It's back in a big way. Wiggins drives and finishes! Exclamation point from Andrew Wiggins! Has gotten his opportunity and has taken full advantage of it. It's not how you drive, it's how you arrive. Mama, there goes that man. 158 remaining. You know, something I've jumped about for sure. You know, uh, being in the league and you know, this is the ultimate, ultimate stage. Um, it doesn't get bigger than this. Um, so I was out there just being aggressive, and, you know, it was, a, it was a good game. Well, you heard the highlight of Andrew Wiggins putting through what basically was the dagger at the end of that game. They went with this small lineup towards the end. Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gunny pointed it out on the broadcast on ABC and immediately you had Steph Curry get to the rim and finish over Grant Williams. You had a switch with Derek White, who was late and getting in front of Andrew Wiggins, and he slams it home. So that obviously did not work for the Celtics. I'm Toby Altizer. That's Tim Shea. We're live from the Lakeland University studios here on the Bart Winkler Show on 1250 AM. The fan talking about the NBA Finals, 414-799-1250 if you want to hop in on the conversation as the Warriors get the win over the Celtics in Game 5, 104-94. The Warriors take a 3-2 series lead headed to Boston. Some interesting comments after the game. 
again, I'm getting kind of sick of complaining about the officiating, but Al Horford talked a little bit about it in the postgame presser. Here's what he had to say. To Mark's question earlier, thinking earlier, a bad habit of when things start going with the calls, you guys start to unravel a little bit. Um, yeah, not, not our best moment. Um, as you guys know, we, I feel like we've been able to fend those things off, um, especially throughout the playoffs. Uh, for whatever reason, um, uh, tonight, uh, I feel like it got to us. Um, and, um, and, and it's one of those things that we kind of brought it back. We were able to focus back in, but we can never let that get to us. We can't let that affect our game, the way that things are being played. Um, we feel like we can control a lot of those things. Um, and it's something that, you know, we have to move on and, uh, and be better on Thursday. He can say all those things. I don't think it's going to happen. You, you can talk about this team and say, well, you know what, we're going forward, we'll be better. We're not going to worry about the officiating. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to do the exact same stuff that they did in this game again on Thursday when they tip off again. This team is so worried about everything else but actually playing basketball at times, and it's so frustrating to watch. This is why people get frustrated watching the NBA because of the stupidity that goes on on the court that isn't basketball. You know, if you're going up for a legitimate basketball play and you get fouled and you don't get the call, okay, you can whine about that. But when you're driving into the lane and you're you have no intention of finishing the 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 shot, you're you're just trying to throw up something so that you can draw a foul, well then no, I'm not going to bail you out. When you're flopping all over the floor trying to excessively exaggerate the contact, no, I'm not going to give you the call on those things. And you don't deserve the call on those things either. So the the Celtics really need to step up and get to the plate here and play basketball. Because if not, they're going to lose this series. I still think they're a better team than Golden State, but they, they take themselves out of it so often. And... Golden State's defense yesterday I thought was really good and that they pressured the ball. They did a good job of making the Celtics feel uncomfortable. It doesn't help that the Celtics took a whole quarter to get into that basketball game. I don't know what they were doing. Did they take tip off was an hour later? Because they did not look ready to play at all. You have just simple, simple stuff. You're turning the ball over. You're getting pressed, and you you look like you completely lost your offense. How many times do the Celtics have someone get up in their face on defense, and they just seem like they can't get any sort of offensive rhythm going? The Warriors would put on some sort of pressure in the half court, and it would take the Celtics all the way to five on the shot clock to finally get something set up so they can get going. That stuff's unacceptable. The offense for the Celtics has been atrocious, especially in the half court. I, I don't I don't understand what they're going to do in game six other than come out there, hopefully just play better. Uh, like it, As much as we like to rag on Coach Bud for his mantra of got to be better and got to just play better, do this better, Like sometimes that's as simple as it comes down to. And I think that's what the Celtics are missing right now. They need to play better. They've been the best team in the NBA 
basically for the last four or five months, and they did not play like that last night. And you can have those sort of games in January, February, March, even into April to an extent. You can't have those sort of games in Game 5, series tied at two apiece on the road in the NBA Finals. Now, I think they'll hopefully they'll be able to protect home court. I say hopefully because Wendy's is on the line for me. I know a majority of you are probably cheering for the Warriors. So uh, what I say hopefully, look, I'm not cheering for the Celtics. I'm cheering for the benefit of Wendy's for me. I also don't want to have to spend money on Bart. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where that's coming from. But last night, I thought a really great performance out of Andrew Wiggins. You saw that this guy has the potential to be a a player that can make an impact deep into a playoff run. And I don't know that I knew that. You know, I, I don't know that we've seen this sort of Andrew Wiggins before. We saw a little bit in game one, and then he kind of went back to being Andrew Wiggins, where he's a good, solid player. I'd say maybe a little bit more than a role player, but even so, probably just a, a role player. He's solid, but he's never going to give you anything over the top. And then in this game, he really stood out. And again, I think this goes back to the the culture that Golden State has created and that these guys can come in, and even though they've never been really a championship player in their time in the NBA, they can get into this culture and they feel like they are ready for the stage. Because, you know, as much as they want to talk about the Warriors have championship DNA and they have pedigree from playing in the NBA Finals, Andrew Wiggins doesn't have any of that. Andrew Wiggins doesn't know the pressure of these moments. He's just like the Celtics in a lot of ways in that he doesn't have the experience in these moments. And yet the Celtics continue to act immaturely and Andrew Wiggins steps up to the plate and slams it home at the end to finish that game off. He looks ready for the moment. I don't know if the Celtics players are ready for the moment, and that's got to be frustrating for guys like Al Horford, who is sitting here looking like, I don't know how many more chances I'm going to get at this thing. And, you know, you notice that some of the older guys on the Celtics, it's not the problem with them. It's the younger guys, and they just don't, they don't take the criticism from their coach and say, all right, we got to stop doing this. They don't take the critique from their coach and say, let's just focus on playing basketball because you know Yudoka's got to be telling them to stop that. He's mentioned it multiple times throughout the playoffs that, hey, we got to stop worrying about the officiating. You have Horford mentioning again in the press conference yesterday, we got to stop worrying about the officiating. It's got to stop bothering us. But yet it just continues to bother them. And I, I don't get why they can't realize that that is taking away from their ability on the basketball court. Going back to Boston in Game 6, I think I might have to think, take Golden State. I, I think Golden State probably wins this one in 6. You know, like they said on the broadcast last night, you, you don't want to have to go back to Golden State for Game 7. Get this thing closed out in Game 6 if you're the Warriors you've got to expect that you're going to get literally anything more out of Stephen Curry in Game 6. You know, I, I, I still think there's no doubt in my mind that Steph Curry deserves the Finals MVP at this point if the Warriors win. But after his performance last night, Andrew Wiggins has kind of entered that conversation. And 
this has been something that was different in this NBA Finals. For the most part, this Finals, it's been the Warriors go as far as Steph can carry them. And in this game, Steph didn't give you a whole lot. He only gave you 16 points. 7 of 22 from the field, 0 for 9 from 3. That's something you're not used to saying with Stephen Curry. He did have 8 assists, so he, he does give you solid contributions still, even if he's not scoring. But he only gave you 16 points. That's not the Steph you're used to. And you needed to win that game if you're the Celtics because you held him in check. After him going for 43, you you put the onus on, let's stop Stephen Curry. And they did stop Stephen Curry, but they couldn't stop Andrew Wiggins. And he goes off for 26. And th- that's the thing that was different about this game is you had the other guys step up. You had the other guys carry Stephen Curry to a win. And we were talking about it yesterday, a couple narratives that I think we need to go back on. I don't. I, I still think that Steph Curry, if you want to consider him top 10 all time, wherever – I still think that's fine. You can have an off game in the NBA Finals. Now, Steph generally has this reputation that he kind of disappears in the NBA Finals. I think he's shown you that he's overcome that. And it's just the nature of a guy that is going to live shooting from the perimeter. There are going to be some nights when he can't knock it down. That's just going to be the case. The other thing that we talked about recently, I think we talked about it last week uh, when I was in on the big show with Gary and Leroy. Jason Tatum is not, I, I, I think he's a superstar, but he's not a superstar right now. He's not playing like it. Last night he did, but overall in this NBA Finals, he has not. You've got to step up and play better in big situations to be considered a championship-level superstar. You can be a superstar in the regular season. For a while, that's kind of what Stephen Curry was, to be honest. He was a superstar in the regular season. He got to the NBA Finals and he kind of disappeared. That's what he was his first couple times to the finals because he couldn't deal with the physicality. That's what I see with Jason Tatum right now is that he's a really good player. He's got all the ability in the world, but he's not up to the task in the NBA Finals. Games 1 through 4, one of the worst shooting performances out of guys shooting the ball at least 20 times a game in NBA history, in NBA Finals history. Up there with guys like Jerry West that have struggled in the finals. So that's not good. And then you have him last night at least play a little bit better. But when you need clutch buckets down at the end, even if it's just a a free throw, he couldn't come up big for you. You need your superstar to play better than that. Jalen Brown had an off night, but he's been really the focal point of the offense in the first couple games. And so I I can't fault him for having one off game. Jason Tatum needs to step up and do something more. 27 points from Jason Tatum. Yeah, it sounds like a great night. Jason Tatum should be able to go for 30 every night with the ability that he has. But I I think Bart was on to something early on in this series. I think he can get a little too passive at times. And it, it still seems like the moment's too big for them because at times when they start dribbling the basketball, it looks like they forgot how to dribble. It really does. Him and Jalen Brown. And the fact that the handle gets a little loose, the ball's out far away from their body, it's easy to steal, they can't really get anything going because 
the Warriors are an incredible defensive team. Don't get me wrong. So all credit to Golden State on that. But it's not like they haven't seen tough defense throughout the playoffs. You know, they did beat a team in Milwaukee that plays pretty tough defense as well. And I I just think that this Celtics team, I don't want to overreact and say that the series is done, but I, I kind of think that Golden State goes into Boston. And I think it'll probably be another close game, but I think you're starting to see the wheels unravel a little bit on Boston. And last night you could tell that at the end of that game that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown were exhausted. You could definitely tell that those guys were tired. And maybe them going a little bit longer in some of the series before this NBA Finals is finally catching up to them. Here's what Ime Yudoka had to say about those guys being fatigued. Offensively, you guys really struggled there for a big chunk of the fourth quarter. I know Jalen and Jason pretty much played that whole second half. Did you feel like fatigue-wise it was kind of showing up there in terms of the kind of offense you guys are creating or was it something else that you're seeing? Could have been. Uh, we ran them obviously a longer stretch uh, to get back in the game in the third. Um, looked like our decision making uh, waned a little bit in the fourth and um, could have been from that. We weren't getting a whole lot of production off the bench. We went with them a little bit longer being that they got us back in and tried to use the timeouts for their rest. Um, but uh, we got away from a little bit of what got us back in the game in the third, and decision-making could and fatigue could be a part of it, the reason why. Yeah, I mean, they looked exhausted, but this is the NBA Finals. Find a way to get through it, whether it's Yudoka needs to find a better way to rest them, whatever the case may be. Uh, I, I don't want to hear excuses about fatigue because watch Stephen Curry play a game of basketball and – <laughs> the dude never stops running. I don't understand how he does it. He's one of the most incredible athletes in the game of basketball because he just constantly runs around, and then he's still able to shoot well. Last night, obviously, that's not the case, but generally, you're going to see him as the greatest shooter on the planet. Ime Yodoka on what the message is going into Game 6. How are you feeling going into a Game 6 where... Now your back's against the wall again. Well, feeling the, the message to the guys is to be confident going home, get your rest, and then let's get ready for, to bring it back here. And so for us, it's really about consistency. And, and that's the thing we're not, we're, having, we're not having throughout a full game is a consistent effort, sustained effort, more so offensively than anything. And so that's the part where we got to have uh, carryover from quarter to not only game to game, but even quarter to quarter, like we saw in the third, and then it doesn't, doesn't happen in the fourth. So... Um, obviously, we're all frustrated with tonight a little bit, but even prior you know, quarters and games. And so our message is to take it one at a time. We've been here before and did it against Milwaukee, and let's bring it back out to the Bay. Yeah, I think that's pretty well put. Like the, 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 the effort is not consistent throughout the game. You know, you have – and it's been this way the entire uh, NBA Finals series. Like I said, you might have a game where you're playing well for the first two quarters, then the Warriors get going in the third, and maybe you can come back in the fourth, but you need a consistent effort. Obviously, at times there's going to be lulls, but for you to just have whole quarters where you're not playing as well is unacceptable at this point in the NBA Finals. You're going to get beat by a team that has the championship DNA like the Warriors have. All right, that'll wrap it up for some NBA Finals talk. Do want to talk about the Green Bay Packers. Yesterday, Alan Lazard signs his tender, so he is officially under contract for the Packers. He'll be at minicamp, I'd assume, this week. 
So you, we, we'll talk about that coming up next here on the Bart Winkler Show, 414-799-1250 if you want to hop in on the conversation, or you can tweet us at 1250 AM. The Fan, I'm Toby Altizer. That's Tim Shea. More of the Bart Winkler Show comes up next. 1250 AM, The Fan, it's the Bart Winkler Show. Toby Altizer in for him this morning alongside Tim Shea. 414-799-1250 if you want to hop in. Tweet us at 12.50 a.m. The fan yesterday, Alan Lazard, signs his second-round tender, his restricted free agent tender, to come back to the Green Bay Packers. What kind of things are you expecting out of Alan Lazard this year? 414-799-1250 or tweet us at 12.50 a.m. The fan, good to see Alan Lazard back with this football team. He's going to play a big role for this team this year. He's obviously going to play one of the big roles because – Who's going to play wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers this year? That's a big question that everyone's kind of been asking. Who are the receiving options for the Packers? You have Christian Watson. You have Romeo Dubs. You've got Randall Cobb. You've got Sammy Watkins. Again, this kind of seems like going through a Brewers lineup to an extent, right? Like, are, are they names that you know? Are they decent players? Sure. Are they guys that are going to step up to the plate and be the big hitters? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what fans are truly expecting out of Alan Lazard this year. I think there are some that are being realistic and looking at it and saying, you know what, Alan Lazard, the most he's ever gone for in a season is 500 yards, so I can't expect him to go for 1,200. I can't expect him to take a load off of what Devontae did. I can't expect him to make up for a majority of that. And then I think some fans are thinking that he can truly step in and be the number one guy that left when Devontae left. I think a lot of people are expecting him to be able to be the guy that can go for close to 1,000 to over 1,000 yards, that can give you 10 touchdowns, and maybe he is that guy. Maybe he can be. We, We haven't necessarily seen him in this role. I don't think he can. I think he's found a perfect role to play in, and he needs to stick into that role. And I think that's going to be the decision for Matt LaFleur and Adam Senevich looking at this offense. Do you change up what Alan Lazard does a little bit? Do you add some more passing volume to him? Or do you try and get that production from the other guys? Do you try and get that production from the rookies? Because looking at these rookies... What kind of role is Christian Watson going to play right away? You know, a lot of people compared him to MVS coming out. That was a, a player comp that was pretty popular out there was MVS for Christian Watson. So, obviously, you just had MVS on this offense, so you could have him step in immediately and play a similar type role. I kind of think that they're going to need him to play a bigger role than what MVS played. I think Romeo Dubs could play an MVS-style role. I think that at times Christian Watson will do the same sort of thing that MVS did and try to be the burner down the field. But I think you're going to need someone to be a true number one for this offense. I don't know that this offense needs a true number one, but I need someone that's going to be my main intermediate middle of the field receiver that can be a safety blanket for Aaron Rodgers to an extent. And I don't know if Christian Watson is as polished of a route runner to be able to do that as a rookie. 
I would like him to be that guy and Dubs be the MVS-style guy, but I'm not sure. Is Sammy Watkins going to be the guy that can step in right away and be able to do routes across the middle? Again, that's a guy that he's got a lot of incentives in his contract because he, he understands it. He hasn't been able to stay on the field much. So do I want him running routes across the middle all the time with the risk of getting hit? I mean, you're, at some point in the football game, you're going to get hit. But do I really want him running across the middle all the time? I don't know about that. So other than that, Randall Cobb's your slot guy. Amari Rogers, slot guy. Alan Lazard might have to step into a Devontae Adams-style role. Now, you still want to use him as a blocker because that is his best trait. You, 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 that's what you want him for is his blocking. You know, if you're just trying to find a true number one wide receiver, then you could go find other guys. There's still guys out there on the free agency market, even a guy like a Julio Jones, even though he's older and who knows if he can stay healthy for a 17 game season, much less play the whole thing. You could probably still go find a guy that could probably step in and has more talent in terms of wide receivers than what you're going to get out of Alan Lazard but they're not going to be able to step in and help you immediately on offense like Alan Lazard can because he doesn't have to touch the football to be effective. He's the guy that can spring a five-yard run on the outside, an eight-yard run on the outside into a 15-20 to yarder to a 60-yard touchdown on the outside for Aaron Jones. Those are the things that he does. He gets you those hidden yards that you can find in the rushing totals for a guy like A.J. Dillon, a guy like Aaron Jones. Maybe they're running some jet sweep actions with Christian Watson, and he'll get involved there. So I'm interested to see exactly what they use him as. Do they expand his role a little bit? How much do they change what he's done? Because this is what I've talked a little bit about with Rasul Douglas, too. Although Rasul Douglas had an incredible season last year, we cannot forget where he came from. He came from a practice squad, and there's a reason that he was on a practice squad. NFL teams aren't stupid. You know, they're not going to just have a guy on the practice squad just because. If the guy's not producing and not playing up to a level, then he doesn't deserve to be on the roster. The Packers got him. They found a perfect role for him. And so going into this season, after you've signed him to a bigger contract, I don't think you mess with that role too much. You can move him around a little bit. You can do little things here and there off of it. But I'm going to use the versatility of guys like Stokes and Alexander more because I know that they can still be good football players outside of just those roles. I don't know that Rasul Douglas can be an incredible corner still outside of that role. So that's kind of where I'm at with Alan Lazard. I don't know that he can be a true number one. I think if Packers fans expect him to step in right away and be a big contributor on offense in terms of yardage and touchdowns, I think they're going to be pretty disappointed. I I just don't see him stepping in right away and giving you 1,200 yards, 1,000 yards. I think you could expect seven to 800 is what I would expect. I have to agree with you on that. I don't think, now call me crazy, I don't think the Packers will have a 1,000-yard Pass catching wide receiver. Yeah, they they very they very well may not. It's gonna it's be gonna be more spread out. It's gonna, gonna be, be very spread, spread out. out. And obviously, using the two running backs, maybe running the ball a little more, passing the ball to them a little more, and just having a more 
spread out wide receiver um wide receiver core so yeah i i don't i don't disagree with you there i don't know that they are going to have a thousand yard receiver because that's going to require someone to really step up and be heads above the rest this offense is probably going to depend more on the running game than it has in years past and just looking at it from last year aaron Rodgers passed for 4100 yards in order for you to have a 1,000-yard receiver, that means a guy is going to have to come up with essentially a quarter of your yardage in the passing game. What receiver is going to come up with one-fourth of the yardage for this Packers offense in terms of passing? I mean, if, if, if I had to pick one, if you were just asking which one, I'd probably go Lazard. No, I'd go Christian Watson. Mm. I think it's Christian Watson or none. I think if Christian Watson can come out and show that he is – a guy right away, I think he could go for a thousand. I think he's more likely to go for five hundred than a thousand, though. I think he's more likely to only go for a smaller number, half a half a thousand, as opposed to going for a full thousand. Because I think coming in right away, he's going to have to learn some things. He's coming, you know, it'd be different if he's coming from a school like in Alabama. Obviously, he'd be ready to go right away. You're coming from North Dakota State. That's a great powerhouse in FCS. You haven't gone up against pro-style corners. You know, that's what I think made some of these guys coming from LSU so good right away and Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase is they were facing SEC corners. They were ready to go right away. They were facing guys like Derek Stingley in practice. They were ready to go right away because Derek Stingley was the third overall pick this year. So they knew what they were going to go up against when they got to the NFL. I don't know that you can do that with Christian Watson. I'm not saying that he can't make an impact in this season. I don't know if it happens right away. I'm excited to see what Romeo Dubs can do, but again, competition out in the Pac-12 coming out of Nevada. Is he going to be ready to go right away? I'm not sure. I I think this offense can be fine still. I think you're going to see A.J. Dillon get involved more in the passing game. I think you could see Aaron Jones used in different ways. I don't know how many more catches he's going to get, maybe 10 or so. He's still gotten the ball a lot out of the backfield to begin with, so I don't know how much more they can give it to him out of the backfield than they already have. A.J. Dillon, on the other hand, I think they're going to have to get him involved more in the passing game because he's shown that he can be a, a good receiver as well. 414-799-1250. You can tweet us at 1250 AM. What are your ex- expectations for Alan Lazard this year? This Packers offense looking at the receiving core. What are you expecting out of them? Again, 414-799-1250. Let's get out to Dave and Cudahy. Dave, what's going on, man? Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Dave. I mean, I don't think having 800-850 is all that unreachable for Alan Lazard. And at that point... I'm pretty happy with this production. I don't expect anyone to really be shooting anywhere near that thousand yards, like you guys were saying. That they they're going to need to spread it out all together to kind of find a person to be that you know true number one going forward. But you also have to realize it's Aaron Rodgers, and that's a guy that needs a fallback plan. And, you know, he did it all the time with Devontae Adams, and arguably. You would think Adams got a lot of yards just because Aaron Rodgers insisted on throwing him the ball. So I think that dude is going to be Alan Lazard. So we should expect a little bit more yardage than you know his production normally would. You know you would think it could be. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. I think that's part of why 
I wouldn't mind them going and getting a tight end before camp. Uh, maybe one of these free agents, I think Eric Ebron, guys like that are still out there because I think that tight end could be a safety blanket for him as opposed to Alan Lazard. Because I, 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 I get what you're saying, but Alan Lazard gives you so much in the blocking game that I, I just don't know that he's ever going to be a true number one because I think they want to kind of leave him in certain spots in ways that I, I just don't see him being able to take over a Devontae-type role with that where obviously he's not as talented as Devontae, but Devontae, like you said, was a security blanket, and if all else failed, they could almost work together without the scheme of the play and they'd find a way to get it, the ball to each other. I don't know that there's anyone right now I see, whether it's Lazard or any of these guys that are going to be that guy, I don't know that he has a security blanket. Maybe it's going to be one of these running backs. Maybe that's the case. I think that's more likely than Lazard, honestly. Honestly, the running back probably is the more likely uh, answer, especially if someone like Jones is out there, because the dude can work uh, in, you know, passing plays. But uh, regardless, if it's – as long as it's not Eric Ebron, I don't like that guy. (laughs) But – and also, go Warriors, because if anyone sucks more, it's uh, Al Horford's sister. I absolutely despise her. So, go Warriors. <laughs> well, I appreciate the call, Dave. Have a good one. There you hear Dave and Cudahy, 414-799-1250. Uh, let's get out to Mike the Painter. Mike, what's going on, man? Good morning there, Toby. What's going on, Mike? You know, there's no reason to think that Alan Lazar can't come in and perform up to over expectations because the guy's improved every year that he's been a Packer. He don't drop balls. He had one drop all last year. So he gets more targets. There's no reason that he can't put up the numbers. I don't disagree with you that he can go over some people's expectations. I think some people are setting expectations way too high for him though. You know, if you're well, if you're a, if you're a Packers fan that looks at his previous years and says, okay, Devontae's left. The most he's ever gone for is 500. I'll say he can go for 700, 800 yards. Yeah, so I think he can go for 7, 800. Maybe he can surprise and get up to 900 to 1,000. But I think some Packers fans expect him to come in right away and say, well, you know, Devontae's gone. Why can't he go for 1,110? Because he's not that guy. That's why. But he could be that guy, and it all depends on the offensive game flow and, and if Aaron Rodgers is going to trust in him. And I think Aaron Rodgers will trust in him and throw him those targets if they're going to be there. So, you know, he don't drop the ball. He's open. We've seen that in the playoffs, and he should have been looking for him then. Yeah, you know, so. I, I will say, though, him being open in the playoffs in that play – I know it's, that pretty much. Rogers didn't have time. There's, no, I'm not blaming. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that had nothing to do with Alan Lazard. That was all Matt Lafleur scheming him wide open. Well, sure, that's what that's what the offense does for our, well, our and players. That's what I'm you saying. I don't know it, that. I don't know that there's going to be one transcendent guy on this offense that's going to get. And to Tim's point, that's why he was saying I don't know that there's going to be anyone that's going to get over a thousand yards. Yeah, that's that's possible because they will be able to spread the ball out because there isn't going to be one guy that, you know, Aaron Rodgers can, you know, just constantly depend on. But I think Alan Lazard can step into that role because he has proven that he's not 
a player that's going to drop balls. He's going to play. He's going to suit up every game. And, you know, there's chances for him to do that. And if he's thrusted in the number one role and there's nobody else there to take that and take those targets, and I don't see why he can't be that guy. I just – he's talented enough. There's There's talent there, so – yeah, I'm going to uh, I understand the optimism Mike and I appreciate that, but I'm going to tend to say I want to see it first. The dude's only gone for 500 yards at most in a season and I get that Devontae was here. So, you know, we can take and add like right. 100 or 2 to that. I just don't think that Packers fans understand what Alan Lazard is. He's not well, a true number one wide receiver. If we're being honest, he's not a true number two wide receiver. He's a blocking wide receiver on the outside that Packers fans have talked themselves into being a better wide yeah, receiver than he nobody, is. Nobody he's a glorified Devontae tight end. Adams was a uh, number one wide receiver. Remember our uh, favorite guy on the radio, Bart, wanted him gone after year two. So, you know, it can But you happen. drafted Devontae to be the guy. You drafted Devontae yeah, in the second round. Devontae to be the guy. We had guys. Yeah, but you drafted we him in the second Jordy round. Nelson. Well, of course. And we drafted we drafted Watson in the second round. You know, the, those guys can produce. You know, you just have to get the targets to them. And if Aaron Rodgers is going to take and say, all right, you're going to be the one that's going to get the targets because I have the tr- most trust in you. What's to say that he can't, you know, what's to say that he can't become a pro bowler and an all pro? There's, well, maybe he proves me wrong, happen. Mike. Maybe that he proves me wrong. Awesome. Maybe he but proves I, me wrong, but I'm going to, I'm going to stand by. I don't think he's going for more than he's going to get an uptick, but I don't think he's going for more than seven, seven fifty. And if he goes for a thousand, then I'll be the first to admit that I was wrong on him, but I just don't see it. Well, that's that's cool, but we could always have Scary Terry over here. And that's not Gold happening. And, that's and, not uh, happening, Mike. <laughs> it's not happening, Mike. Appreciate the phone call, man. Have a great day. Have a great day, Tim. 414-799-1250. We're going to take a quick break when we come back. Tim Allen from the Gene Wagner Plumbing Post Game Show is going to join the show. I want to talk about that losing streak as it's finally over, thankfully, so we don't have to continue with uh, counting these losses. But also want to look at this Mets series, look at some of the numbers. It's kind of depressing when you compare the Brewers and the Mets. I'll tell you right now what Tim's going to tell you. <laughs> what? Why can't we? Why can't we turn that turn that narrative? Why can't we say uh, if, uh, the Brewers? Uh, how the Brewers will? Uh, how the Mets can compare to the Brewers? <laughs> I'm telling I, you. I. I no, I, I'm fine with that. I appreciate the positivity because I think Tim and I have been beating the drum for the Brewers more than just about anybody. But the numbers don't look so great. We'll talk no. with Tim Allen next here on the Bart Winkler Show. Toby Altizer in for Bart today on 1250 AM, The Fan. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.